As I'm getting set up here, uh, I want to just give a thank you to your church, not only for uh, welcoming us as recent transplants from Indiana, but especially uh, because y'all love and support uh, so many of our RUF staff uh, all over the state of Florida and now in Boone, North Carolina. (laughs) And I'm just so grateful that y'all do that. So thank you for praying for uh, our staff, for giving uh, as a church, for giving as individuals. We're so grateful for that. But I'm here this morning uh, to preach from God's word. So the bulletin has Colossians 3, 5 through 11. I'm gonna read verses three and four for a bit of context, and then I'm gonna pray for our time this morning. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let's pray. Jesus, we have uh, come here this morning because... We are at least curious to hear what you have to say to us. Some of us have had hard weeks and hard mornings. Some of us have had good weeks and good mornings. Uh, Some of us are spent and some of us are full. And some of us, Lord, if we're honest, we're not really sure uh, what to make of you. Some of us aren't even sure if you're real and some of us feel very close to you. But however we are feeling, we are here physically And so we ask, Jesus, that you would speak to us this morning. If I've planned to say anything that are just my words, I pray that I would not say them. And if I do, that we would not remember them. But even now, Jesus, we ask that you would uh, take the words that you want us to hear and that you would till the soil of our hearts so that we would receive these words in faith and that they would bear fruit in our hearts and in our lives. Because if you do that, Jesus, our time will be well spent. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. When I was in fifth grade, uh, one of the projects that I was assigned was to write a, create a time capsule that I would open when I was a senior in high school and graduating. And part of that time capsule was a letter to my senior self. And so uh, not too long ago, I actually found this letter and started reading it. And so I'm going to read you some excerpts from my fifth grade self. If you're wondering why today is a special day, this might be your answer. It says, Dear Senior Self, When I was in fifth grade, somebody was a great friend to me and his name is Matt Wood. If you're here, Matt Wood, thank you. I don't know if you're here, I have no idea where Matt Wood is, but we went to the Huntsville Space Center. I'm sure I'm gonna go to better places later. May 24th, 1995, we were going out to recess and I ran into a pole and everything went black, but I was okay. As far as I know, I'm still okay. Uh, I guess the jury's out on that one. I hope in 12th grade, the United States will still have God. Again, fifth grade self. And I signed it, love me. P.S. 
have I lost any weight yet? <laughs> now, you might be wondering why that was a PS for my time capsule letter. And the reason why is because when I was in fifth grade, I was a bit overweight. And as I thought about seven years into the future and what I was going to be like seven years from now, I thought, maybe, just maybe, I could change and be different. Maybe, just maybe, I will lose a little bit of weight and be the kind of person and have the kind of body that I wanted to be. And my fifth grade self is describing something that all of us know intimately. Because we all want change, but we're not quite sure how to get it or how hard it will be to get the change we want to see. So what would your PS be? PS, are we still together? P.S. Do we have kids yet? How did they turn out? P.S. Do I still get as angry as I do now? Are we reconciled? Are we on talking terms? Can I be in the same room as them yet? P.S. Do I actually enjoy God? Do I enjoy going to church or is it still a chore? What would your P.S. be? Because when we think about this idea of change, we want it, but it is so hard. Because many of us, if you're like me, at times we feel absolutely powerless. We want to change, we know we need to change, and yet when it comes down to it, we feel powerless. But Paul in this passage gives us hope because he tells us that change is not only possible, it's certain. Because Paul links change with our identity and who we are. And when the Bible talks about identity, another way of talking about it is really just to talk about what we love. Because the Bible understands who we are is connected to what we love. One Christian writer uh, says it like this, we are what we love. And so I want us to think about this morning uh, change through the lens of these two questions. Why? Do we need change and how will we change? Why do we need change and how will we change? So why do we need to change? Well, we need to understand where we were. What did we love? And verse five gives us two helpful clues in the form, and the first word is earthly, right? He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That word earthly has also been used uh, last week. Chuck talked about it from chapter three, verse two. He said, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Now, the earth isn't bad. God made the earth. He loves the earth. But what Paul is talking about here is earthliness as, a, as opposed to heaven, as opposed to who God is and what he wants. It's a way of living life that says, I don't care what God says. I want to do things the way I want to do things. But there's a second phrase that's helpful for us in verse five, and he says, covetousness, which is idolatry. And when we use that word covet, the Bible, when the Bible uses it, it really covet means just to want something too much. It could be a bad thing, it could be a good thing, right? But it's really wanting something more than we should or wanting the wrong things, which leads to idolatry. Idolatry is the thing that always gets a yes. So for example, 
Ice cream is a good thing, I think. I mean, I think for most of us in here would say ice cream is a good thing. But ice cream, it, it, when it becomes the thing that we always say yes to, when we find ourselves at 11 o'clock at night eating pint after pint because we are unable to deal with the sadness that we feel, that's idolatry. Work is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. We were made to work. But when we sacrifice our family to get the pro promotion at our job, it becomes an idol. It becomes the thing that we always say yes to. And Paul, what, the picture that Paul is painting here is when we're answering the question, okay, what is it that we have loved? He's saying that, well, we are the focus of what we love. That I'm the one who is answering the question and the, question, and the focus is on me. And if that's what I love, what's the result? And he, Paul has these lists in verse five and verse eight, and both of them mo move from the inside to the outside, right? So in verse eight, anger and wrath and malice and slander, right? It starts inward, anger, rage, that then leads outward, slander, obscene talk, lying. I'm using my words not to bless others, but to bless me at the expense of others. The same logic is true in verse five. These desires that are inside of us, evil desires, passion, which lead outside sexual immorality, impurity. The what, what my heart wants, when it moves outward, I use people for my uh, pleasure that I have warped desires that I indulge rather than saying no. Paul is painting a picture here of a life, of a heart that is focused on me at the expense of others. St. Augustine talks about it like this, that when our hearts are curved in on themselves, they are curved inward, there's a problem. So why do we need change? It's because we have disordered loves. We either love the wrong things or we love good things more than we should. And so that begs the question, what do we love? Because what we love shapes who we are. What we love shapes who we are. Here's what I mean. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the Chick-fil-A uh, pre-pandemic ritual when they would open stores. And what they would do is they would say, okay, for the first 100 customers, you would get uh, free Chick-fil-A for a year. And so they would hand you this coupon booklet where you could get uh, free, uh, 52 free number one combos for a year. You might ask, how do I know this? The answer is because I've done it twice. Um, the first time I was in seminary, that one was a lot easier and better. Uh, the second time was far more costly. It was right before we moved from Savannah to Indiana. Uh, Anna, our oldest, was only two and a half months old. And so it was a Wednesday. And so I spent Wednesday, Wednesday night, and Thursday morning on the parking lot of a Chick-fil-A in Savannah, Georgia. I even told my youth group kids at the time, y'all come meet me at Chick-fil-A. No one came. <laughs> um, I, so I basically took a day off of work, apart from my wife and my newly born daughter, so that I could get 52 free number one combos at Chick-fil-A. Was it worth it? Yes, it was. It was absolutely <laughs> worth it. Why? Because what I loved shaped who I was. What I loved shaped my schedule. And so what do we love? 
And how is what we love shaping us? For some of us, we love being right. And we love being right so much that we can never be wrong. And so someone else is always the one at fault. Because if we are wrong, then we're not sure if we're okay. And so we're unable to face reality and we are always finding fault with other people because the reality that sometimes we are the problem is just too much to bear. For some of us, we love comfort. And so we never take risks. We always play it safe. Even on a Sunday morning, we never move towards the person we don't know because it's just too hard. We expect others to come to us. For some of us, we love security. And we love security so much that we always find a reason not to give generously. For some of us, we love, uh, we love control. And when we yell and raise our voice, we don't really love it, but we love the results that it gets. We love the feeling of control, even if it's killing the ones that we love around us. We love busyness. I actually think we have an interesting love-hate relationship with busyness. We love busyness because when we're busy, we feel important and significant, like our time matters, but we hate busyness because it grinds us into the ground. And some of us are so tired. But we'd rather be tired and busy than not busy and feel the stillness of that because we're not sure who we are if we're still. Some of us, we love the looks that we get when we walk in the room, the way that our body, we have spent hours upon hours sculpting our bodies or sculpting our resumes so they look flawless. And so we will do whatever it takes. And some of us love belonging, and so we will do whatever it takes to be a part of a community, even if we lose ourselves in the process. What do we love? And how is what we love shaping us? Because Paul is holding up for us a mirror and saying that when we love ourselves, when our desires are warped in on us, when we are the focus of what we love, it is killing us and it's killing everyone around us. So what's the solution? If that's why we need change, because we have disordered loves, how will we change? And the first thing we need to see when we think about this is who loves us? That's why I wanted to read verses three and four. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is not a trick question. You're at a church service. The answer is God. <laughs> not, no surprises here. God loves us. But the surprise is, why does God love us? I mean, the creator of the universe who spun the stars into existence, who created the mountains and forms the oceans, says that he has set his love upon his children and his people. Why does God love us? Verse 4, because we are united to Jesus. That word that Paul uses 
um, when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is not saying that Jesus is, it's not like we're driving uh, on a road trip, on the road trip of life, and Jesus is sitting next to us. He's not our co-pilot. He's not a passenger in the seat. Paul is, there's a different word that Paul uses when he wants to express the idea that someone is physically next to us. This word that Paul is using here is much more intimate Paul is saying that Jesus' life is intimately bound up and tied up with his people. So much so that when God sees you, Christian, he does not see just you. He sees you through Jesus. So that he sees his son when he sees you. When he sees you. Another pastor used this illustration. He knew somebody in his church that was Mickey in Disneyland. And so her job was to go to work put on the Mickey costume and walk into Disneyland. And I just want you to imagine for a minute what it's like to be Mickey in Disneyland or Disney World. It must be one of the best things ever because you never meet a stranger. Everyone loves the fact that you are there. They smile at you, they get pictures with you. Who knows how many hugs you give. Children are giddy with delight when you're Mickey. Now I want you to imagine that she goes to the park on her day off and she's just walking around. Can you imagine if she tried to go up to strangers and get pictures and hug children? People would rightly start uh, running away from her, questioning what is wrong with you. Why? Because she doesn't have the Mickey costume on. When the costume is on, it's still her. She's still there, but she is covered in Mickey. So much so that when everybody in the park sees her, they see Mickey and they love her. And that's a brief glimpse of what it's like when God sees you, Christian, in Jesus. That when, why does God love us? God loves us because he sees his son when he sees us. And we know what he thinks of his son. Because when Jesus is baptized, he comes out of the water and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Friends, if you are in Jesus, if your trust is in him, he says the same thing about you. And it's not because we've changed. It's not because we've made our way up to him. It's that he has found a way to us. He has broken every barrier down so that he might be intimately tied to you and to me. We are his and he is ours and nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not you, not me, not Satan, not death, not inflation, not the government, not our family members, not the sin that we desperately try to say no to, but it always seems to get the better of us, not our anger, not our jealousy, not our gossip, nothing. Absolutely nothing can separate you from God's love in Jesus. And that love is so powerful, friends, it's like water on stone. Water wins every time. It will break. This love is so powerful, it will break hearts of stone like yours and mine. What does that do? What does this love do? Now, really, next week we're going to go into this more. And by we, I mean whoever's preaching next week. Uh, but we get glimpses of it here in verse 11 because Paul says, Here there is not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And that word here is very important because 
it actually means where in the Greek. And what Paul is, is he's telling us something really profound here because the, when we think about what, the new, what, what he's talking about here, we often think that it's something inside of us, that Paul is describing a, a new posture that we have. And that is true. And there are other places in the Bible that go into that more, but that's just not his focus here. Paul is saying that there is a location that we have been moved to when we are in Jesus. And that is the new humanity. That Paul is saying that when our trust is in Jesus, we are a new, there's a new way to be human. And this new way to be human is not defined by the old distinctions that have ever, that have so often, if not always, plagued and characterized every other way to be human that we've ever seen. That's why he goes into this list. And there's another list in Galatians 3, right? Whether it's race, whether it's class, whether it's status, none of these things add, uh, it's not that these things don't matter in the new humanity, they just do not add value. Every other way to be human says that some people are more valuable than others for these reasons. But Paul says that is not true in the new humanity. And the result is that we look like Jesus. That's what he's saying in verse 10, which is being renewed, like the new self, in knowledge after the image of its creator. And earlier in Colossians, Paul says that Jesus is the image, it's the same word, of God. The image that was given to us at creation and the image that we have tarnished by our sin and the fall, that we have embraced the lie that God can't be good and he can't be trusted, that this image is being renewed so that we look like Jesus. His love makes us a new people like him. God's love changes his people. How will we change? God's love. It, it's, it's almost like moving, right? Any significant things that we've had in life, like, let's just take moving, for example. There's an event, and then there's implications from that event. So we moved from Indiana to Florida about a year and a half ago, December 2021. By the way, no one wondered why we were moving to Florida. We never got any questions from people saying, you really sure you want to move to Florida from Indiana in December? Uh, but anyways, uh, that was an event that happened but there are all sorts of implications that come with it, right? We wear different clothes in December in Florida than we do in Indiana. Praise the Lord. There's different language down here. My students thought I was funny when I said y'all. No one thinks I'm funny down here when I say y'all. Uh, we have to find new car mechanics. We have to, th we have to think through all these things. There's a, there are all these sort of implications of this huge change but the change is an event that's already happened. So whether I feel like an Indiana resident or a Florida resident or not, it doesn't really matter because we live in Florida. It's happened. And that's what Paul is saying when he thinks about, when he talks about change for the Christian. How do we know change is certain? Because it's happened. Change is certain because the most important thing that can happen to us has happened to us on the cross. And our being different, changing, does not depend on how much willpower you or I have. It does not depend on how well or poorly this day goes. We are different 
Change is certain because it has happened and it's located in the cross. Let's just think for a minute, what does this mean? Well, it means, just thinking about some of the things we talked about earlier, it means we don't have to be right because Jesus died. We are always loved by God no matter what happens. And so I can be wrong because I am wrong at least some of the time, if not most of the time. It means that we uh, don't have to always be comfortable or secure. We can take risks because we know at the end of the day we're loved and we win because Jesus wins. It means that we don't have to be the most beautiful or significant person in the room because when God looks at us, the creator of the universe, he sees the most beautiful life that has ever lived. We get everything we would ever want in Jesus. It means, friends, we are not powerless against sin. Sin is powerless against Jesus and the work that he's doing in us. That's why Paul, that's why Paul says, put sin to death. Because sin has died. It has an expiration date. It will not endure. Sin will die, so stop sinning now. But it also means love is the answer. How do we live into this new humanity? We love others by being loved, by remembering that we have been loved because we have been loved. How will Christ church be a better reflection of verse 11? By drinking deeply of God's love for us. Because when we were the other, Jesus broke down every barrier and every wall that stood between him and us and said, it's worth it. And he moved towards us. And so that begs the question, who is the other for us as individuals and as a church? And what does it look like for us to move towards them? For some of us, it could be a pers the person of color. For some of us, it could be the other gender that we just don't seem to understand. For some of us, it could be the, our neighbor who is constantly complaining about our yard or complaining about this or that or even making fun of the fact that we go to church on Sunday mornings. The other could be the family member that we think, I, I have to love them? Really? Or for some of us, the other person could be someone in this room that we haven't talked to in a really long time. And what would it look like for us, whoever the other is, to move towards them because that's what God and Jesus did for us. And to love them because this is who we are. This is not about becoming something. This is Paul saying, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. This is who we are. One of my favorite movies, uh, or, or let's just say movie scenes, is from a movie called Blood Diamond. By the way, because I'm mentioning a movie does not mean I'm giving it the like seal of approval that it's set for family night. Uh, I'm just saying I watched it and uh, referencing it in the sermon. So just before someone comes up to me and said, we watched that with all the kids and that was a lot. So anyways, talk to me if you want the, the fuller story. But anyways, this movie is about war-torn Africa and the, the conflict over diamonds. And there's a father who searches for his son because his son has been kidnapped by rebel forces. And the son has been brainwashed. 
and turned into a child soldier. And so one day, this father finds his son and rescues him from the rebel camp. And they're outside the camp trying to figure out what to do. But the son is so drugged up and so brainwashed that he picks up the gun on the, on the ground and points it at his father. And it's this incredibly tense moment of what is he going to do? And listen to what his father says in this moment. Dia, his son's name, what are you doing? Dia, look at me, look at me. What are you doing? You are Dia Vendi of the proud Mindy tribe. You are a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. The cows wait for you and Babu, the wild dog who minds no one but you. Listen to what he says next. I know they made you do bad things, but you are not a bad boy. I am your father who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. At this point, the gun drops to the floor and the father embraces his son. It's only when the son hears the father's voice reminding him who he really is, is he able to throw the gun away and rest in the embrace of his father. It's only when he sees to what family he truly belongs can he leave his old self behind. How will we change when we see who we are in Jesus because friends we have died and our life if our trust is in Christ this morning is hidden with Christ in God and that's good news let's pray Jesus we ask that you would even as we prepare to come to this table this morning that you would remind us of who we are that we don't change by trying harder or doing more that we are already different because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ and God. So would this table even be a reminder of that? Not of what we do, but of what you have done. Well, we need grace. We need your help even to believe that. So would you please help us to believe that? And pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.